Today we, uh, we celebrate the resurrection of the Messiah, and the, uh, the Torah portion, of course, came from uh, Leviticus chapter 23, Vayikra, uh, and uh, there we read about this offering of first fruits. It was the uh, early spring offering, right? And uh, according to what uh, uh, we read, uh, it was uh, comprised of a bar from the, a barley harvest uh, and the early spring offering. And, and so we read in a variety of places about Yeshua's resurrection, about uh, being the first fruits. The first fruits is the first offering uh, of, uh, of, of a harvest. The, the, some would say the, the best and the first. Uh, of, uh, of, an, of a harvest. And it is for the purpose of thanking God for the harvest that has come, but that is also yet to come. See? Uh, and so it certainly is appropriate to read about Yeshua, therefore, being uh, the first fruits, uh, the first fruits uh, of the resurrection uh, of the dead. And see, this is very, very important for us. Uh, as a as a community, you know, uh, this past week I had a very interesting encounter. Uh, I shared this with some of you uh, a few weeks ago. I got an email from a man in town, a Jewish man in town, young young guy, uh, and uh, he said that he and some of his colleagues at work during their lunch hour from time to time have religious discussions, and and one of these people. One of his colleagues lives near Beth Messiah and asked me about, about it, but I really couldn't say very much, so I was wondering if we could come on a particular day during our lunch hour and have lunch with you, uh, uh, you know, at your synagogue, and we could ask you questions about Messianic Judaism and, and what that is, you know? Now, I mean, next to, the, next to the phrase, how can I be saved, you know? This is not bad, right? Now, knowing, you know, if you know me, I've been around the block a few times. I thought to myself, maybe this is a setup. You know, maybe uh, when they get here, like, uh, you know, three, uh, three uh, Hasidic guys are going to come up the walk. You know what I mean? And, and, uh, and so on. So I had that in the back of my mind because I recognized this fellow's last name from someone, uh, the same last name as another person in the, in the community. And I thought, ah, I wonder what's going on here. So uh, the day arrives. And sure enough, it's three young guys uh, who were on their lunch hour from work uh, who really are, uh, you know, they're, they're, uh, they look like uh, businessmen or administrators. Actually, what I believe they are is uh, hospital administrators in, in what they do. Uh, and they came in, and so I met them. And all I can say is, did you hear the one about the Jew, the Catholic, and the Mormon who comes to the Messianic congregation and asks... What is this all about, right? So that is uh, what happened. Uh, and in the course of conversation, which was for an hour and a half, and it was a splendid conversation, it was fantastic, actually. Uh, the, uh, the question was, uh, you know, why, why, did you, uh, why do you believe this? You know, it wasn't so much, tell me your whole life story, uh, uh, you know, but why do you, why do you believe this? You know, which is a really great question uh, uh, to ask. You know, so <clears throat> what I said was uh, because I believe that he rose from the dead. That's why I believe it. Okay, 
And, uh, and I gave some reasons why I believe it's true and historically accurate, uh, things of that nature. And I said, it's just, and there's just as much evidence, actually there's more evidence, than what we have for the great events of Mount Sinai. Uh, and certainly, we believe that Moses lived and uh, that there was a Mount Sinai event, but certainly none of us were here for that one, you know? Uh, uh, and, uh, and I believe that, but I also believe that he rose from the dead. And here's why that's important, okay? And the reason that I um, uh, said that is because we may not be aware of it, but <clears throat> I don't know if you've ever had a conversation with, uh, you know, with a Jewish person about the event, the finished work of Messiah, you know, the, his death, burial, and resurrection, and ascension, and all that. But uh, in Jewish literature, uh, in the basic Jewish understanding of the coming of the Messiah, there's not a whole lot written about the fact that he's going to be the atonement for our sins, okay? It's true, you know, I mean, it's true from the scriptures, it's true, absolutely, 100%, right? But if you were to ask a rabbi, if you were to ask a knowledgeable Jewish person, and perhaps that, maybe uh, that is you this morning, I don't know, I, you know, when I say Messiah, what do you say? You know what I mean? Most people are not going to say, die for my sins, okay? They're going to say, oh, messianic age, uh, peace in the world, uh, all, you know, all that, the, the new age, the Olam Haba, the world to come, right? Uh, and, uh, and so uh, uh, that's why I said the resurrection, because in Judaism, the belief in the coming of the Messiah is, he, when he comes, this new age is ushered in, see? Uh, and so I said the reason that I believe in the, uh, the, um, the resurrection uh, being the telltale sign of the Messiah is because he's the beginning of the new age, see? And that is why uh, when I was talking yesterday morning about the manna, the manna from heaven, you read passages in rabbinic literature about the Messiah bringing the manna from heaven and, and, and the Messiah uh, bringing uh, you know, peace into the world, right? So then, the question then is, of course, what do you think the next question was? Well then, if Yeshua, if you say that he rose from the dead and he's ushered in this new age, then why do we not see uh, the peace and all that? Right? Why, why, don't we not, why don't we not see that? Right? Another good question, okay? You know, because sometimes we're so studied, so to speak, that we just assume... Like, people know this stuff. No, 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 not at all, okay? So then I said this. I, I read only one passage uh, in, in our whole time, and that was Isaiah 53. And I said how <clears throat> what Isaiah 53 was is a testimony of Jewish believers in Messiah at the end, when the Messiah comes. And this is the song that they will sing, but... Uh, if you read it carefully, you see that the first people who are singing it uh, say uh, that we rejected him when he came. So now here, this, is, this also may be kind of uh, new and interesting for you to know, is that all three of them, the Jewish man, the Catholic man, and the Mormon man, never heard of this passage. Okay, 
never heard this passage. Because what I did was I said uh, that when I was investigating the claims of the Messiah, that uh, I went to a meeting and uh, the man who was leading it knew I was coming. And I was like, uh, you know, it's high noon at the OK Corral time. You know, that was, that was me here, okay? In fact, I would say I would not have wanted to have a conversation with me <laughs> then, okay? Anyway, so um, I, he read to me. He said, I want to read, just read something to you, okay? And you tell me where you think it's coming from, right? You, perhaps you've heard me say that before. And so uh, this is what I told these uh, gentlemen. Uh, and, uh, and so then I just read Isaiah 53, right? And, uh, and I said, so what do you think? And they were all like, well, okay, that, you know, that's talking about uh, Jesus. That's what they, you know, that's talking about, about Jesus. And I said, see, that's what I said, <laughs> you know? And I said, but no, this is in the prophet Isaiah. And they all had this look of, huh, what was that again? Where, where, huh? Oh, wow. Uh, and so I read the whole thing. See, uh, because this is the quintessential testimony, all right? If, if Yeshua had come and we all had embraced him, he would have been disqualified from being the Messiah. Because the promise in the Tanakh is, is that we would not recognize him. And so if we had believed, he would have been disqualified. This is very important, see? And so Isaiah 53 tells us that, like I shared for a moment last night, that, you know, we looked at him and we thought him as like someone to be pitied. Here is this, uh, you know, uh, miracle worker, this, um, you know, uh, a rabbi teacher, uh, and, uh, and he was hated and so on. So as it says in Isaiah 53, he was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. That's what, I don't know about you, that's what I kind of thought uh, he was. He's a bad word for when you stub your toe. He is the God of the Goyim, you know. He's the God of the Gentiles. Uh, uh, he was a good guy, but this guy Paul came around and then created this theology and made him into a God. That's what I thought, you know. Uh, and so I certainly uh, did not uh, see him as esteemed in any way. But then it says, But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging, or, you know, whipping and, and all that, we are healed. See? All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. That is, and then my eyes were opened, and then I saw what the real truth was. This is what I thought it was. You know, horizontally, I mean, here I saw this guy who was path a path kind of a pathetic figure, to be honest with you. But then my eyes were open and I saw the truth. And I saw this history from a, you know, from a heavenly perspective, one might say. 
from a God's point of view. And here I thought he was suffering maybe for his own sins, and here it turns out it was for my sins. See? And so then we see here, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living? For the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due. His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death, because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth, as we see in the life of, of Yeshua. Right? Okay. But then it says in verse 10, and I pointed this out to uh, my visitors very carefully, but the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief if he would render himself as a guilt offering. So, so here, uh, you know, I, uh, sometimes people will say this is about the collective history of the Jewish people. But it says the Lord was pleased to crush him. Okay, And it's the same word if you go back when it says in verse 5 where he was crushed for our iniquities. Okay? So the Lord was pleased to crush him. The Lord is never pleased when his people suffer. Okay? Okay? It may serve a purpose, no doubt. You know, it's not out of the realm of God's control and all that. But he's not pleased about it. He's not pleased to see suffering in this world. But this suffering was unique. This was once and the only time in the history of mankind. The Lord was pleased to crush him putting him to grief if he would render himself as a guilt offering. There is no one who has ever suffered in order to be a guilt offering for anybody. Even if people like to throw a lot of guilt upon us, right? Uh, or upon you, right? But uh, Yeshua uh, uh, voluntarily uh, was a guilt offering. Now, isn't it interesting that it says guilt offering? It doesn't say sin offering or burnt offering or just offering or a sacrifice for sin. Or, but it says a guilt offering. That's literally what it says. And Asham is, is the Hebrew word. And that is what it says here. So very quickly, what is a guilt offering, right? Well, a guilt offering always accompanied a sin offering, this, you know, a, a sin offering and the burnt offering. And basically, in a nutshell, what a guilt offering did <clears throat> was for the purpose of, taking, of, of that very thing, of taking away guilt. One was, the sin offering was a judicial kind of offering that uh, brought purification right, uh, to the sinner. Uh, and the burnt offering uh, was often an atonement for sin. But that guilt offering was for the purpose of satisfying the, the, uh, uh, what had taken place, like paying reparations, like um, uh, repairing the, uh, the breach, one might say. And it's also interesting that it had a psychological effect, and it was also for the purpose that a person would, would know that they, the guilt is taken away. It's one thing to be forgiven. It's another thing for the guilt to be removed. And so it's very interesting that, it, that he says if he would be a guilt offering. And so in Yeshua, the guilt of sin is removed. 
And to me, to me, that is very much like when you read in the Brit Hadashah, in the New Covenant, in 1 John 1, 9, that when we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. That cleansing has to do with the, the removal of sin from, from the conscience, so to speak. That we're, we, we do not walk around as people have been forgiven, but are real, really just feel horrifically guilty forever. Okay? That the guilt is removed. Okay? And then it says, he will see his offspring. And this, is what I, this was the point that I really zeroed in on with my friends that visited me. He will see his offering and he will prolong his days. And I said, I think this certainly could very, very well refer to the resurrection of the Messiah. See? And what I said was, you see, that's why the reason that I, a lot of people die in a lot of different ways, right? And you can lay a theological grid over a death, right? But I don't know anybody that has been resurrected from the dead. Now, resuscitated, that's a different story, okay? You know, boom, okay? You know, back a lot. Resurrected, that is the end time resurrection. That is a new body. That is a body that lasts forever. That, you know, that, this is diff that's different. And, and so when Yeshua rose from the dead, that is the sign, see, that his death was meaningful. And we can turn to this passage where we see death and, and, uh, and resurrection. Okay? And, and I said here, see, notice what it says. Uh, As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By the knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many, and he will bear their iniquities. Uh, and then I read the, you know, the rest of the passage. So I said, you know what Isaiah 53 is really about? It's really about the victory of the Messiah. It's really about the victory. But in order to have the victory, he must die first and then be, and then be raised from the dead. And that resurrection, that is the sign. And that's why I believe it. And then I said, and the reason that we don't see the peace in the world is because of that prophesied rejection. The day will come when our people will en masse believe, and that will make all the difference in the world, as it says in the, I didn't say this, but to them, but as it says in the book of Romans in the 11th chapter, how much different will it be when, you know, when they do uh, come to believe? Uh, it will be magnanimous, see? Uh, and so that's very important. So this resurrection is, that is the game changer. The fact that Yeshua rose from the dead. It is the proof that atonement has been made, that his death was meaningful as we understand it, pouring out his, uh, himself for us, becoming like us, and pouring himself out. Uh, in fact, well, never mind in fact. Uh, the, uh, the fact of, of the matter is, uh, is that uh, when you read the book of Acts, what you see there is that in the preaching of Peter, I was going to say, you know, uh, we don't read about uh, Miriam being raised from the dead, but if she had given a message in the book of Acts, if she had, given, if she had written a speech in the book of Acts, I could say right now that according to Peter, Paul, and Mary, the resurrection is very important. But Mary is not there, okay? But according to Peter and Paul, absolutely. And so all I will just say is this. 
in Acts chapter 2, you can read it. You read Acts chapter 2, and you read Acts chapter 13, and what is it that both Peter and Paul are accentuating? The resurrection, that he rose from the dead, that he rose from the dead. Uh, and because that is what our people then then understood that that was, that was the game changer. It's because he rose from the dead. That's why we believe that he rose from the dead. That includes everything else. See? The fact that he rose from the dead. So you read, for example, uh, in um, uh, Acts 2, beginning in verse 25, he quotes Psalm 16. Okay? Or I should say, uh, let's do this. Uh, verse 24. Let's read verse 24. And God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Then he quotes Psalm 16. And so then in verse 29, it says, Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. And so because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was neither abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh suffer uh, deceit. This Yeshua God raised up again to which we are now witnesses. Uh, therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Ruach HaKodesh, he has poured out uh, forth this which you both see and hear. Okay? Uh, and then uh, we'll stop there. And then I'll just go over to chapter 13 for just a second, where Paul gives uh, a message here. And he says, he's speaking just like Peter, in verse 16, it says, he's man of Israel, <laughs> and you who fear a God. Speaking of, you know, God-fearers uh, and so on. But man of Israel. And then he gives like a history, a brief history of the, uh, of the Jewish people. Uh, and then uh, he, uh, he says here, okay, uh, let's see. In verse 28, it says, and though they found no ground for putting him to death, they asked Pilate that he would be executed. And when they had carried out all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb, but God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, the very ones who are now his witnesses to his people. And we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers that God has fulfilled this promise to our children and that he raised up Yeshua as it is written in the second Psalm, thou art my son uh, that, I have begotten, uh, that I have begotten thee. And, and as for the fact that he raised him up from the dead, no more to return to decay, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Isn't it interesting? He says, that's the good news. The good news is that he rose from the dead. And when we explain why that is important, because it is the sign that the, he has inaugurated the beginning of this new age of the Olam Haba. And that, and that in order to do that, he has taken our sins upon himself. And by his being raised from the dead, just as uh, these Jewish men attest, right? That uh, he did not, uh, that sin and death were conquered because of that resurrection. See? And so it is the beginning. It is the beginning, and, uh, and that is what I shared uh, with these people. And that is the hope of, uh, of the Jewish world. 
a resurrection is one of Maimonides' 13 articles of, uh, of belief. Not only that, but we'll finish uh, with a passage from the Siddur. Let's turn to the Amidah, okay? Let's turn to the Amidah. <clears throat> and this paragraph of the Amidah, like other paragraphs in the Amidah, are said three times a day, 365 days a year, every single day. Every single day. <clears throat> Let's read it first in, in English. It starts the way our uh, Siddur is. It starts, see where it says avot? See that? Okay, if you go to the uh, last two lines there, it's actually, the last two lines are part of the second benediction. Not that that may matter to us, but anyway. See where it says king? Okay, let's read there. King, supporter, savior, and shield. Blessed are you, Lord, shield of Abraham. Lord, you are mighty forever. You call the dead to life. You are mighty to save. Then down to, you sustain the living with loving kindness and with great mercy. You revive the dead. You uphold those who fall, heal the sick, set the captive free, and keep faith with those who sleep in the dust. Lord of might, who is like you? King, who can compare to you? You decree death and restore life, causing salvation to flourish. You are faithful to revive the dead. Blessed are you, Lord, who calls the dead to life. That is the second benediction, and it's all about resurrection of the dead. That is, uh, that is a firm belief in Judaism. And when it says you call the dead to life, that is the promise. That is what knowledgeable people, knowledgeable Jewish people know that when you're talking about when is the Messiah going to come, that is when the resurrection happens. Resurrection and the coming of the Messiah in the Jewish world are an event. See, the whole the dying for our sins that is very obscure in the Jewish world, okay? But not resurrection in relationship to the coming of the Messiah. And so that's why the, the resurrection is this glorious truth for us. And that is why Peter accentuates it and Paul accentuates it. And all throughout the book of Acts, when we read about the preaching in the very early days, it's all about the fact that Yeshua rose from the dead. And isn't it too bad that when we uh, ourselves, when someone says, conventionalism among believers in Yeshua, what's the good news? He died for my sins so that when I die, I go to heaven. That's part of it. Obviously, that is good news. <laughs> That's like great news, right? But the good news is the resurrection, is the consummation, is what the entire Siddur, if you sit down and you read an entire Siddur, it's almost entirely about looking forward to the future. Like when we sing Alenu, which we'll do in just a minute, right? And so that, this part of the Amidah is a prayer, is a benediction that God is the one who raises the dead. He's, i.e., a.k.a., he sends the Messiah. Now, the nature of the Messiah is understood differently and all that, but that's not what we're talking about. That, that the Messiah and the re resurrection of the dead is an event, okay? So let's all stand and let's all rejoice that we can say these words, we can sing these words. And if you read it carefully, that paragraph again in English, you'll notice that it is a combination 
of some passages about raising the dead and also Isaiah 61, where Yeshua quotes a portion of the passage, uh, you know, when he speaks in the Gospel of Luke, by the way, I think it's just, it's just something to chew on, something to think about, that these are ancient prayers, okay? The prayers of the Yamidah are ancient prayers. Many believe, most believe, that they, are, that they go back to the days of Yeshua. They may not have been, they might not have been in the order, you know, exactly in the order that they're in and so on, but the prayers are there. And it is interesting that when Yeshua gets up in the synagogue, that uh, he says, uh, he has sent me to proclaim uh, the gospel to the poor, release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, set those free who are downtrodden to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And a portion of that is included in Gevurot, which is the second benediction of the Amidah. And it's included with resurrection. That's kind of interesting. So let us rejoice. Lord, thank you, God, for the resurrection of Yeshua. Lord, we indeed do thank you uh, that you uh, have indeed allowed us to see the day of resurrection. And Lord, we thank you, God, that we live in the resurrection life, uh, Lord. And we do indeed pray in the name of Yeshua, Lord, that we would embrace that great truth and we would live in that great truth. And we would think about the resurrection every day, Lord. And that we would think about what it means to live a resurrection life every day. What it means, Lord, to die to sin and to live for you. And as it plays out in the way that we, that we engage each other and that we engage this world. Lord, just as Yeshua lived that resurrection life by dying and being raised from the dead, Lord, may we recognize that's what it means when we say to die to self and to live uh, for you, Lord. That, uh, that we can do that. We can serve one another. We can wash one another's feet, uh, so to speak, Lord, in the resurrection because of the joy that we have in you. Lord, what a great victory that is. And we rejoice in Yeshua's name. Amen.